Hello, and welcome to Covered Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. So a side note before we begin, I have strep throat. Yeah, he got <laughs> strep throat uh, last Monday. So. Yeah, it was, it was real bad. Mm-hmm. I was just like baking alive on the couch and... Yeah. Yeah, so, but I'm on meds now, so. Yeah, he's getting better, but his voice might be a little iffy today. Yeah. So just a forewarning for you guys. Thanks mm-hmm. for bearing with us. So, uh, yeah, so Scott Pilgrim, it's our first graphic novel. First graphic novel. Yeah. Super excited. This is, I mean, I, I knew the movie first. Yeah. And just. So for, did I. I fell in love with the movie, so I'm like, mm-hmm. and so reading the comics was great, and I'm so excited to get to talk about it today. Me too. Because it's also one of my favorite directors. Oh my god, this is just going to be perfect. I know, it's like the pinnacle, it's the it's the apex of so many great So many things. of Ian's interests. It's the convergence. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, the Scott Pilgrim uh, comic series was written by Brian Lee O'Malley. And illustrated by him as well. And they were published from 2004 to 2010. So there's six volumes in total. So the movie came out in 2010, uh, directed by Edgar Wright and starring Michael Sarah. And yeah, it, it was really great. And it came out uh, around the exact time that the last book of the graphic novels came out, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So Scott Pilgrim. Uh, is about, lives in Toronto. Lives in Toronto, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting and you know cool that the movie takes place in Toronto still because yeah. uh, so many movies are filmed in Toronto mm-hmm. because of uh, tax reasons, but almost like no movies actually are take set place. In, yeah. yeah, set in Toronto. Mm-hmm. So it's cool that they're you know this is one. They even make a joke about that in the movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, there's a lot of video game. Like references and comic book references, mm-hmm. and it kind of like saturates like the book and movie. Yeah, it's really cool. It's something that I'm sure a lot of it is going over my head. I have only like a s- general background of video game things, but I still appreciate, you know, all of the references, all of the this weird world that Scott lives in where everything's kind of is normal for the most part, but then there'll be all these like strange things that happen like he gets into these fights and he gets extra lives and items and it's like he's on a quest but everyone else is thinks it's normal yeah and it's cool because in the movie there there's like another layer of subtle reference to video games and stuff with like sound effects oh yeah or Mm -hmm. uh music that plays or visual cues so it's cool that the movie can kind of take that to like an another level with like the audio element too so that's that's really neat Oh, and the opening title sequence. Yeah, speaking of elevating the art to a new level. That's just like immediately when I knew I was going to like this movie when I saw it in theaters. Yeah. It's just such, you know, the the music's, the uh, Scott's band is playing Mm -hmm. uh, Sex Mm Bob-omb. And uh, while the music's going on, this crazy title sequence is happening uh, that is supposed to emulate this style of like actually drawing on film strips. Yeah, that's what I thought that it looked like. Yeah. It looked like drawings on like a film that you would see like on a film projector maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where you draw on like, I forget, like 20 frames or something that mm-hmm. go through the uh, the projector. So that was such a cool effect and it was just, it's so energetic. The music amps you up. Yeah, and you're just yeah. Like, yes, let's watch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so off to, off to a great start. Mm-hmm. So Scott lives with his super gay roommate, Wallace Wells, 
who is one of my favorite characters. Yeah, he's just real sassy and snarky. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he's he's great. There's a lot of great jokes that come from that. And yeah, and Scott doesn't really have a job or money, and so he lives in Wallace's apartment with him. And it's really tiny. It's just one room, and they only have one bed. So it's kind of a joke throughout the whole <laughs> book and movie that... Scott has to sleep with Wallace all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone's always kind of questioning about it. And yeah. he's like, no, we just only have one bed. <laughs> and so the story really starts off with uh, Scott dating a high school girl. Knives Chow. Knives Chow. Because Scott's 22. Yeah. Uh, or 23. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and he's dating Knives Chow, who's a 17-year-old uh, Chinese girl who goes to a Catholic school. Yep. With a Catholic school uniform. So she's kind of like this like fits in this fetishized category, mm-hmm. you know, and people are quick to point that out. Point that out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Scott treats her well. Yeah. And uh, isn't creepy about that at all. So. Mm-hmm. And Scott's in a band, obviously, Sex Bob Omb. Mm-hmm. And the uh, members of the band are Stephen Stills, the talent. Yes. And um, he's the main guitarist and uh, vocals. And then Kim Pine, who's the drummer. Yeah. And uh, Scott is the bassist. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and they're, uh, re- it's really cool to get to see the movie and actually hear, like... And hear the music. Yeah, yeah, yeah they have this mm-hmm. real great kind of grungy feel. It's awesome. Yeah. So the plot really kind of uh, kicks in when Scott meets Ramona. Mm-hmm. So he's been dating Knives for a little bit, and other characters have mentioned that he's kind of recovering from, like, this bad breakup or something. And so he's with Knives, and you kind of sort of realized he's in it for the rebound, basically. Yeah. Um, But he sees Ramona in his dreams, kind of going through his dreams, and then he actually sees her in real life. Yeah, and he's immediately, like, enamored with her because Mm -hmm. of that. He's like, who is she? Yeah. Uh, And it's interesting because there's a plot line in the book that Ramona, who delivers packages for Amazon, yeah. uses this uh, subspace... Subspace highway? Yeah, that apparently goes through Scott's head, yeah. which is why he dreams about her. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the movie, though, they just kind of use that as a one-off joke, yeah. which I liked. you know, Just her being like, oh, it's a shortcut that yeah. I take through your mind. <laughs> it doesn't really make sense, but it's one of those things that we just sort of have to accept, that there's these all these weird aspects to Scott's world that are just like, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. You mm-hmm. Kind of just quickly accept it and you're you're good with it. Yeah. So Scott immediately um, is in love with Ramona or thinks that he is and wants her to date him. So, you know, he kind of convinces her to go out with him a little bit. And he's still at this point dating Knives and hasn't broken up with her yet. Um, but quickly after his first uh, couple encounters with Ramona, um, he the main plot line of the story um, starts, which is that Ramona has several, seven evil ex-boyfriends. So this whole situation kind of comes to a head at uh, a concert mm-hmm. that Sex bob is a part of. With Crash and the Boys. With Crash and the Boys as their opener. Mm-hmm. And uh, Knives Chow is there and Ramona's there. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a tense situation. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the music now. Oh my God, the music. The music's so good in this movie. And I didn't know a whole lot about it. I actually had the soundtrack in high school. My friend really? uh, burnt me a copy of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just listened to it constantly in the car, like all the time. I love Sex bob music. It's yeah. so cool. And uh, the reason you love it is because it was all written uh, by Beck. 
That's kind of surprising. I know. I mean, it's it is and it isn't. Beck's like such a musical chameleon. You know, he can kind of do so much that Mm -hmm. it's not surprising. It makes sense though as to why their lyrics are so bizarre. Yeah, but I love it. They just have this like garage punk sound yeah and it's so good like all the instruments are real kind of fuzzy and kind of like distorted a bit in amps and mm-hmm. it's uh yeah and, and getting and the what's filmed of them playing is so cool because they add like kind of comic booky effects to yeah coming off the sound guitars. effects coming off yeah yes yeah, so mm-hmm. it's real entertaining to watch too yeah uh, and it's not just sex bomb uh the other band in this scene crash and the boys yeah uh, their music was written by uh, Broken Social Scene, okay, a pretty popular yeah. band, mm-hmm. which is also cool because they have like two really short songs in it. Mm-hmm. But even those ones are are good. You yeah. know, they're treated with uh, attention and care. And... Although Edgar Wright's known for having great soundtracks in his movies. Yeah, yeah. he uh, He's so smart with like his use of music in films. Yeah. Like Hot Fuzz, there's so many jokes with the music that's playing in the background of a scene. yeah. And obviously his new movie, Baby Driver, which oh, yeah. just came out that we saw, uh, uses music in crazy, amazing ways. Mm-hmm. So he's he has a background. I don't know what his musical background is, if any, if he's just a fan. But Yeah, his movies always use music so well, and it gets you so into what's going on at the time. By the way, if anyone is unfamiliar with Edgar Wright, uh, before this he directed um, Shaun of the Dead yeah. and Hot Fuzz. And after Scott Pilgrim, he directed The World's End mm-hmm. and Baby Driver. Baby Driver, mm-hmm. yeah. And he had a big part in uh, Ant Man. Yeah, he was directing it for a while, but then had a conflict with Marvel and ended up dropping out. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. He was uh, helping to make it for years, mm-hmm. uh, and then after Iron Man came out and they started building this expanded universe, they had to adapt it, and yeah. then eventually they kind of had creative differences. You know, and he couldn't do it, but... Yeah, and his style is so interesting, and I feel like it's perfect for this book, for yeah, this adaptation. I, I can't think of a better marrying of a director and subject matter. Yeah. Uh, because he does... Edgar Wright does so much visually with comedy. I know, yeah. Between the editing or... Uh, I don't know, cuts mm-hmm. or things coming into frame or out of frame in a funny way, lighting, you know, he uses kind of the full spectrum. It's visually interesting, you know, it's not just these boring, you know, regular shots or, you know, scenery, blah, blah, blah. It's like things are happening all the time mm-hmm. and he's showing you it's either for comedy or it's for plot or it's just something cool to see. And it just, it makes it so enjoyable to watch. Yeah, I mean, you can go back and like every time I watch this movie, it's one of those movies that I catch something real small, something subtle that was there that I didn't notice the first time. He's so good at just layering so many things, so many visual gags that might be in the background, Mm -hmm. something in the background someone's saying. Or or... the music or anything, yeah. It's really hard to describe, so you should just watch the movie yourself. Like To describe comedy and to describe visual styles it's difficult over audio but yeah because <laughs> we don't th- this is one of those movies that's tempting for us to just sit here and be like oh and that part was oh, so remember funny that funny part yeah, yeah. We're, yeah we're gonna try not to do that maybe but watch the movie if you haven't already seen it because it is one of the most enjoyable experiences that you can have watching a movie yeah yeah uh I, i'm thinking of uh the 
uh, honest movie trailer. For, oh, yeah. Which is a very fair one. You know, uh-huh. sometimes they're a little too mean. But uh, for this one, it was, I forget the narrator says, this is the definition of style over substance. Yeah. But when it's Edgar Wright's style, who cares? Yeah, and I, true. I kind of agree with that a little oh, yeah. bit, you know? Mm-hmm. We can get into that a little bit more, but. Yeah. So um, the bands are playing. Mm-hmm. Crash and the Boys plays first, and then Sex Ball Bomb comes on, and this is the moment uh, Knives ends up passing out, so she doesn't have to talk to Ramona, and they don't have the confrontation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Matthew Patel shows up, and you get the gist of the evil exes, and Scott has to fight them and everything, and mm-hmm. the first fight scene happens, uh, and the fight scenes are great in this movie, oh, too. Oh, they're so good. Uh, yeah, just well choreographed, and like the fusion of special effects that are in there are really good. Yeah. And in that video game style. Yeah, and I think that's part of what helps is that they're not necessarily trying to fool you that they're jumping 30 feet in the air. Yeah. You know, there's kind of that stylistic edge to it where it's supposed to look like a comic book, so you buy it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Funny, interesting side bit, though, about the actor who plays Matthew Patel. Uh This was Edgar Wright's first movie. He's British, and this was his first movie filmed in the U.S., so he only wanted uh, American actors in it. Oh, okay. Uh, the guy who plays Matthew Patel, though, is actually British. Huh. So from his audition on, he did an American accent. Really? To fool Edgar Wright oh that he God, wasn't. Oh my God, that's so funny. Yeah, yeah. So that was, he's a talented actor, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, so he defeats Matthew Patel, not with not too much difficulty. Mm-hmm. This is the first boss, so he's not too hard to defeat. And he just explodes into some coins, which is apparently not even enough for the bus to get home. <laughs> yeah, I like the uh, as the more enemies he defeats as it goes, like they increase in number of coins that fall out of yeah, them. Yeah, and so. difficulty. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's interesting though because uh, this up. This is like this has been the first of six graphic novels that we've covered so far, so yeah. we probably got to pick up the pace. But, <laughs> but um, you know, this first graphic novel is almost verbatim what the movie is. Yeah, like it the, kind of follows it exactly. The lines, the pacing, like the shots, the yeah. way it's filmed. Yeah, so many of the jokes are pulled straight from the comics. Mm-hmm. But I do think this is a good um, example of why an adaptation is sometimes. Uh, really good because I think a lot of these jokes land so much better in the movie Mm -hmm. when you have an actor to kind of portray the inflection and you have the editing and the Mm -hmm. comedic timing. A lot of these jokes are, I think, funnier. Even funnier when you see them. Yeah. 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 On to the next evil ex. (laughs) (laughs) Lucas Lee. Yes. Played by Chris motherfucking Evans. What a perfect casting. <laughs> this movie has so many great casting choices. Chris Evans may be the best Probably one, Probably the best one. <laughs> yeah, he plays this, like, ex-skateboard star turned into movie star douchebag film guy. And by the way, Chris Evans plays Captain America currently mm-hmm. in the Marvel movies, if you're wondering who he is. Yeah. Uh, and he, he just... I don't think anyone would have seen him as this character. No, but he does it so well. He does this really goofy kind of deep um, action movie star voice. Yeah. And his lines are great. Mm -hmm. And I actually like the fight scene in the movie better than the book. It's extended. There's more going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In the book, um, he just kind of kicks Scott's ass a little bit. And then Scott convinces him to try to do a grind down this really long railing. Yeah. And he attempts it and then he bails at the end and like dies. And that's how (laughs) that's how Scott defeats him (laughs) in the movie, though. They do this great uh, fight scene where Scott fights all of his uh, stunt doubles. Yes. Which is on the movie set. Mm -hmm. 
And it's also worth noting that uh, this fight scene takes place where they're filming, where Lucas Lee is filming a movie currently, and it's at this old castle in Mm -hmm. Toronto. And this is a real uh, filming location for actual movies that's used all the time. Yeah. That's awesome. So it's a funny, um, we have a friend who actually visited Toronto. She's a huge fan of Scott Pogram and she Mm -hmm. purposely went to this castle (laughs) and the stairs that are outside it that Lucas Lee grinds down. But yeah, my gosh. Yeah. It's one of my, maybe, I don't know. It's tough to rank the, the fight scenes, but it's definitely up there. Yeah. And it's a little bit different too, the way he defeats him. He has to kind of, trick him you know it's not just straight on fight uh fight scene so yeah yeah <laughs> and at this point scott does break up with knives he is reluctant to do so because he's a wimp and a baby but <laughs> <laughs> he finally breaks up with her and this poor child she's in love with him yeah and is kind of like heartbroken about this but you know scott's like okay i'll break up with you and now i can like really be with ramona so he and ramona are continuing to date and then the second ex comes along in the battle I really do like the way they uh, emphasize the age difference between uh, Scott and Knives. Yeah. Because, you know, Knives is 17 and she's really kind of enthusiastic about life and everything she enjoys. And and... this is her first boyfriend, too. Yeah. And Scott's kind of that. He's a good example of that fake uh, world weariness of a person in their early 20s. Yeah. And they really contrast that well between their two characters. Yeah, it's really sad, though, because she's in love with him. And he's just kind of like, uh, I think we should break up. Bye. <laughs> and she's just heartbroken. Oh, I know. It's, it's really knives. terrible. Yeah. But uh, Knives does have a really good arc, I think, especially in the books. Yeah. And in the movie, too, I mm-hmm. think. Uh, so there is kind of payoff with that. Yeah. On to X number three. X number three. Todd. Yes. Which... If I'm being honest, I think the bigger X in this drama is Scott's X, actually. Mm-hmm. The more important one, anyway. Yeah, Envy Adams, who he was in a band with when he was in high school. In college. In college. Mm-hmm. And um, she kind of became a star and moved on. Yeah. And just kind of became, even before that, was kind of... Kind of bitchy, and then became a full-on bitch. <laughs> yeah, kind of became too good for anyone else. Yeah, and they, they do a lot of really interesting flashbacks in the third book, mm-hmm. um, showing kind of Scott and Envy getting together and dating a little bit. And then her kind of becoming more and more mean and heartless and sort of not caring about anyone else, not caring about their band or Scott in general, and then kind of culminating in when she breaks up with him and he's devastated. Yeah, yeah. And in the movie, she's played by Academy Award winning actress (laughs) Brie Larson. Before she was Academy Award winning. Before she was Academy. (laughs) Back when they described her as an up-and-coming actress. Yeah. Which, Mm -hmm. I mean, this was seven years ago, so I guess that makes sense. Yeah. uh, she's fantastic in it. I love. She kind of has this breathy yeah. voice and kind of attitude, and but it's really cool because the setup is that they're invited to a show mm-hmm. that Envy's band is doing, her new band, which is the Clash at Demonhead. Yeah, and so we get to hear a song from Envy, and yeah. Brie Larson actually sings it, which is awesome. Another song contributed by a real life band, mm-hmm. uh, which the, the song's called Black Sheep. It's on their soundtrack it's so good listen to the soundtrack yeah and uh she brie larson actually sings uh yeah so that's a great scene yeah it's a cool scene because they go to the show and ramona knows this is scott's big ex and then you know they're looking at them on stage and then ramona's like oh that guy that envy left you for 
that's my ex-boyfriend, Todd. <laughs> and you have to fight him now. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of this weird crisscrossing of like exes. Yeah. Uh, and, this, and they have a great scene after where they're backstage all talking. Mm-hmm. And uh, just this rising tension between them. Yeah. And it's interesting because the book... Uh, the the movie kind of takes care of like this whole fight all at once fight at once mm-hmm. uh which i think was smart for the movie it makes sense the book really draws it out though yeah uh where they have multiple encounters mm-hmm. and they go to a, another show later on where there's another big uh fight yeah you know that breaks out mm-hmm. so i mean it's cool because you get to see like multiple fights which I like because there's a part where Ramona and Envy have a big fight yeah which is awesome and Ramona brings out her big hammer out of her purse (laughs) which is I love her hammer yeah it's the best and they have a big fight and then obviously Scott is fighting Todd as well and so lots going on Knives even jumps in at one point yeah it's it's really (laughs) hectic and crazy and and in the books you find out that Todd is cheating on Envy yeah. with the bass drummer or the drummer. Yeah. yeah sorry. The drummer of, of the band. band. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it kind of goes back to that whole, you know, ex- exes and cheating on each other and kind of betrayal and like, yeah, which is an interesting part of both the book and the movies because, you know, Scott technically cheated on knives mm-hmm. with Ramona and, Ramona cheated on, you know, some of her exes as well. And then, you know, you find out that Todd is cheating on Envy. And it's just like, it's the cycle of bad relationships. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. We didn't even mention that um, Todd's vegan. Oh, yes. He has vegan powers. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's one of my favorite jokes in the whole thing is that because I guess being a vegan like clears your brain and gives you telekinetic. Gives you superpowers. Yeah, gives you (laughs) telepathy and psychic powers. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Scott's having a tough time defeating Todd because he's just kind of throwing him around like a rag doll. Mm -hmm. But uh, the fight's intercut with a um, a base battle. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, In both versions, I think, in Mm -hmm. the book and the movie. And I I love the movie base battle. It's so good. Mm -hmm. And it's worth noting that uh, Michael Sarah actually does play bass in real life and yeah. apparently is really good. <laughs> and so like the, he actually had to like take his like skills, skills down. down. Yeah. He had to take... Scott's not supposed to be super great. At no, it. he's yeah. like competent. But, yeah. Um, so he had to kind of take them down a notch so he didn't like outplay his band. And in this fight scene, which he ends up losing, he mm-hmm. doesn't outplay Todd. That's funny. Yeah. So, but he ends up tricking Todd into drinking half and half creamer. Yeah, in a cup of coffee. And that's when the vegan police show up. Just, oh my God, it's so funny. Yeah, the vegan police come in and they're like, they break through and they're the door or something and are just like, you violated the vegan rules Ve- of veganism. Don't they say vegani? Don't oh, they yeah. use it as like an adjective? Yeah. And so they de-veganize him because he ate a plate of chicken parmesan a while ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, and then Scott's able to easily Easily take care of him him after that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's super interesting because like I was saying earlier, Envy is kind of the bigger ex in this situation, even bigger than Todd is. And it's cool because in in the books, almost for every ex that he fights... For Ramona, he's kind of confronting an ex of his own, you know, um, yeah. not w- one for one. You know, Ramona has seven evil exes and Scott only has a couple. But, you know, you find out that he and Kim used to date and, yeah. you know, 
he thinks things are resolved with them, but maybe they're not so resolved. And, you know, he had this other girl that he knew in high school who becomes important later on and, you know, knives and envy especially. So that's kind of cool. Like, even though Scott has to fight all of these exes for Ramona, you know, he has his own baggage as well. Yeah. And and it's a great, I think the, I mean, the movie does it too. I think the book more so though, that like, you know, the, the concept of this story kind of sets uh, Ramona up to be kind of a bitch, you know, yeah. she kind of has dated and left so many guys in the dust mm-hmm. and everything. Uh, the book does a lot though, to kind of bring Scott up to her level. Yeah. He's been crappy to people too. Yeah. And it's kind of like just evening out their crappiness, yeah, like the whole like, story. Oh, wow. They're both crappy. <laughs> yeah. He's like, Oh, I cheated on knives, but also Ramona cheated on, uh, Lucas Lee yeah. and, mm-hmm. you know, and it's kind of interesting, uh, to, mess with those perceptions of each other. Yeah. So. Yeah. And then it's interesting because so books one through three are followed pretty closely by the movie. And then books four through six kind of it diverges, Mm -hmm. which I guess the original script for the movie was written after the third book was published. So that makes sense. Yeah. It's very, we've read different accounts that kind of are conflicting. It's a little uncertain because, um, you know, the, the script, I think, was finished when the third book came finished, out. yeah. And then was revised when either they saw Four the, or five. the fourth book yeah. or possibly the fifth. They revised some of the, you know, lines from the fourth yeah. one were put in the script. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, after the script was written, Brian O'Malley, uh, Brian Lee O'Malley, the uh, author, really liked the script. And he took some of the jokes from that and yeah, some of the influences and put it in his sixth book and put it in his sixth book. So it's this weird like feeding of each other. Yeah. And you're not, so you're not quite sure where, what comes from what after the third book. Yeah. It's a little, I mean, you can be pretty, well, I don't know. Yeah. It's odd. It is. It's kind of interesting. And you know, O'Malley has said that he kind of takes draws from different things anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. He, you know, um, pulls artistically from some of the things that were set up in the movie. And, you know, it, it, it's a interesting kind of cycle because it's not just, you almost can't separate the adaptation yeah, as from, easily. Mm-hmm. So from its source material. Yeah. And this part in the story um, is where the fourth X comes in. And it's interesting to note that in the books, time is passing a lot more quickly in the I'm sorry, time is passing more quickly in the movie and not in the books. Yeah, yeah. So the books take place over the span of a year. Yeah. And whereas the movie is like six weeks or something. Yeah, a couple weeks even. Because like Ramona's hair color changing, you could like mathematically figure it out, I'm sure. But yeah. um, So we, the fourth evil X is uh, Roxy. Yes. Who, uh, if you can't tell or if you're unfamiliar, she's a girl. Yeah. And so. It's kind of more of a gag in the in the movie uh-huh. when she shows up and Scott realizes and Scott's that confused as to who she is and th- that she had an experimental phase or whatever in college yeah. and mm-hmm. so it's kind of played off more as a joke but um, in the movie it's interesting rock or I'm sorry in the book did I say that what here we go here yeah we, here we go with all the confusion <laughs> I know <laughs> in the book it's interesting because Roxy and Ramona kind of talk a lot more. They have more of an interesting yeah. relationship. Whereas in the other, for her other exes, Ramona doesn't really care that Scott is defeating them. Yeah. But it seems like, you know, there's more either unresolvedness or maybe they're still kind of friends. 
And um, Scott doesn't really want to fight her because she's a girl. And he's like, I can't fight her. Um, so he kind of doesn't want to at first. Yeah. I love in the movie, his line is like, I don't think I can fight a girl. They're soft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's cool in the movie because they have this awesome fight where oh, yeah. Ramona just is behind Scott and like uses his arms and legs to like punch and stuff. Yeah. It's so cool in the way it's choreographed. Mm-hmm. And it's cool too because... Uh, the fight between Ramona and Roxy is very similar to the fight between Ramona and Knives. Uh, no, I was gonna say um, Envy Adams. Oh yeah, from from yeah. the previous, mm-hmm. from book three. So it feels like that's kind of some of the influence they pulled from book three when they were writing the later parts. Yeah, there's so many fights, I get confused. I know <laughs> between book and movie and everything else. Yeah, yeah, in this. You know, Ramona has all these weapons in her bag, which is awesome. She's got the hammer that we talked about. She's mm-hmm. got like a bat too. Yeah, yeah, her bottomless bag. Mm-hmm. Kind of a trope of video games, how you can carry like all a thousand stuff. items mm-hmm. and it doesn't, you know, affect you at all. Yeah, and in the fourth book, it's called uh, Scott Pilgrim Gets It Together. And it really is about kind of Scott getting his life together a little bit. So in this volume, he gets a job and kind of is figuring out his life and ends up moving in with Ramona at the end of the volume. So it's sort of about him growing up a little bit and not being such a freeloading, freeloading loser. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the, the movie fight for this one is also good. Like we talked about and I love the uh, Roxy's weapon, her item, which oh, is like yeah. a, a chain razor whip thing uh-huh which is funny because when you watch behind the scenes footage they just used she had like a ribbon yeah like a ribbon dancer would use yeah. and they just cgi'd the the weapon around it which was awesome yeah, i love that it's cool to see mm-hmm. and he defeats her kind of in a way that uh envy adams is defeated in the third book so once again you know clearly when they were writing the script they pulled a lot from previous books that previous they weren't going to use yeah mm-hmm yeah, which confuses the timeline of when things happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so another aspect of the book in book four is that Scott's old friend from high school, Lisa Miller, shows up and they kind of seemed like they had a thing or maybe they didn't. You're not too sure. And she comes and is kind of all over Scott. And Scott is totally clueless. Like he is <laughs> dumb, yeah. you know, and Ramona feels kind of threatened by this. And so they kind of Scott and Ramona sort of go through this time when you know things are a little tense between them and Ramona's a little threatened by this girl but in the end it sort of does make their relationship stronger and they end up moving in together at the end so that's kind of nice to see that yeah it it was interesting to kind of further explore Scott's past with Lisa yeah and kind of once again how he's kind of a shitty person yeah in a lot of ways he was shitty to her and he was shitty to Kim when they were dating in high school too and it's interesting too because Scott is so oblivious to so much of this and Mm -hmm. And it's not just because he's dumb. No. Because he also has like memory issues in a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where either he falsely remembers something or doesn't remember it at all. Or in like part of it can be that he just doesn't want to remember the bad things and like yes. is refusing to learn from them. And so just like puts them out of his mind. It's interesting. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But yeah. So yeah. So f- five and six, right? Mm-hmm. So five and six, the evil exes get... Um, Combined into one. Double packaged yeah. into one. Uh, the Katayanagi Kadian- twins. Yep, that sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> it's close-ish. Yeah, so Ramona dated twins. <laughs> yeah. At the same time, we don't know. <laughs> I-, I loved um, 
in the movie, they really just, once again, this is one of those whole plot lines that's kind of thrown away as a joke. Yeah. Where when you find out she dated twins, they're like, at the same time, what's going on? And Scott's like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> He's just got to fight him. Yeah. And, and it's interesting too, because at the end of the fourth evil X fight in the movie, Ramona kind of leaves. Yeah. Things are left kind of badly between them. Yeah. And you get it because the third, fourth, and fifth and six evil X are kind of jam packed together. You know, yeah. he has to fight Roxy like almost immediately after he defeats Todd. Mm-hmm. And so he's obviously feeling frustrated. Like he has to do all these battles and you know, he's angry at Ramona. And so they say, com- he says some kind of mean things to her and she's pissed at him and kind of leaves. Yeah. She says you're an evil X waiting to happen. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. It's a good line. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, so the movie setup is pretty pretty straightforward. Yeah. They find out that the Katayanagi twins, um, they have to, he has to fight them, but they're actually the band they're competing against. Yeah, in this it, Battle of the Bands thing yeah, that in, Sex Bob Om is in. In this Amp versus Amp mm-hmm. um, battle, which was apparently an unused idea yeah. from the comics that Brian Lee O'Malley was going to do, but then decided to abandon. Yeah, in the fifth book, um, he wrote an original draft of it and then ended up scrapping it and starting over just because he realized he really had to kind of hone in on the characters and the plot if he wanted to finish it well, which makes sense. Um, but yeah, that was something I guess he had in the original draft, which is a battle of the bands. So <laughs> yeah, and uh, I really like the sequence in the movie. They're literally two stages across from each other. Yeah, and the Katayanagi twins drop my pen <laughs> do this weird thing where uh, they like create like a they materialize two weird dragons. From yeah, their from their music. And once again, the Sex Bobons are playing an awesome song written mm-hmm. by Beck and. Scott kind of gets a second wind during this fight, and yeah. their amps produce this kind of yeti, yeti-looking monster, yeah. and the two digital monsters fight mm-hmm. over top of everyone in the audience. It's really cool because you have all the, you have the two songs going on simultaneously, all the sound effects, the crazy visuals. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, once again, it kind of is a highlight of this movie and all the kind of craziness it can do. Yeah, it's a really cool scene, and. It, Scott kind of sees Ramona in the crowd. This is when they're kind of like not talking. And um, she's with her seventh evil ex, which is Gideon. We'll get into that. Um, In the book, things are very different. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's so Scott keeps the the Katayanagi twins. Once again, their um, encounters kind of keep recurring. Yeah. Throughout the whole book. book. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting because... The book, Scott's kind of not quite the highlight of it. Yeah. And I actually love that about this Mm -hmm. book is, so the Katayanagi twins have all these robots that Scott has to fight and they're always at these random parties (laughs) and just like all a bunch of them, all the group hanging out and then they'll be at this party and the the robots are there and Scott has to fight them. And you kind of see it in the background, like Scott beating up the robots. And then in the foreground, it's Ramona and a lot of times Kim too. And they're just kind of hanging out and talking. And this is the point where we get a lot more of Ramona's character and kind of about about how she's sort of feeling troubled about her past and things are really bothering her. You know, maybe it's having all these exes paraded in front of her and she's feeling, you know, bad about either the choices she made or the things that she's doing now, which is really cool and interesting, an interesting part of her character. 
Yeah, it, yeah, it's kind of a real focus and highlight of her character, yeah. and also her bonding with Kim. Yeah, they have a great friendship. Yeah, and and you know, like we said earlier, Kim kind of gets the short stick in the movie a little bit because yeah. you you could argue that uh, in the books that the main characters are. Scott and Ramona, uh-huh. and then third would definitely be Kim. Definitely be Kim. She gets a lot of development, a mm-hmm. lot of uh, page time or number of pages, you know, kind of highlighting her as a character. Yeah. And I think Ramona and Kim's friendship is helpful to Ramona's character too, because it's like, oh, she's not just Scott's girlfriend. You know, she's not just this prize that he's fighting for. You know, she has friendships and she has, you know, problems of, of her own and things that she's dealing with. And you know, this is, I love this volume because this is kind of when shit starts hitting the fan. Um, and I love when things get kind of dark in storylines, oh, yeah. you know, when characters are really tested. And this is kind of a dark point for uh, Scott and Ramona. And this is also when Ramona finds out that he cheated on Knives with her. And, you know, it's kind of a sad moment when she realizes that and she kind of tells Scott, that he's a bad person because of what he did. Yeah, yeah. But kind of ignoring her own. Yeah, but you know she's saying that because she's like projecting what she has done Yeah, onto him and is not acknowledging that. And at the end of the volume, she kind of does say, I've done bad things too. And I don't know if I can forgive myself or get over them. Yeah, she's not... um... I mean, you could say that she's being hypocritical in that moment, but Mm -hmm. she definitely comes to terms with that later. You know, it's not, I wouldn't say she's a hypocritical character by any means. I think just like Scott, she's kind of avoiding her past and doesn't want to think about things that have happened and the bad decisions that she's made, the people that she's hurt. So I really like that we talked about them both kind of being shitty together and their crappiness kind of matching each other. And I think their avoidance of their past and not wanting to face what they've done is definitely another common factor between them. So I know how I feel and Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure I know how you feel, but (laughs) we should probably talk about Ramona's representation in the movie. Yeah. So it's not great, is it? It's not great. (laughs) And her character is very complicated. So I understand how it was difficult to portray her in the movie and in the time that they had in the movie. Um, because a lot of the times, you know, she is a bitch, like she's being kind of cruel to Scott or she's being hypocritical about, you know, things that he's done versus her own past. Um, but I don't think she has a lot of redeeming moments in the movie at all. No. Yeah. I think one of my biggest issue, and you know, like I said before, I watched the movie before reading the books. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I started reading the books, I was like, Oh, thank God, Ramona has some, some like bit of personality. Yeah, you know yeah. she smiles and she laughs sometimes. I know. I think her interpretation in the movie it's is too just deadpan. She's too aloof and yeah. cool for anything. Well, and she's supposed to be mysterious at first, mm-hmm. and she kind of is mysterious throughout. Like she doesn't want to talk about her past, you know, even to Scott. But she's funny, you know. Like she laughs. She, you know has relationships with other characters besides Scott. You know, she gets along really well with Wallace and she and Kim become really good friends. And even like Scott's sister, you know, likes her. Yeah. So there's just more going on with her and she's not just this manic pixie dream girl that stands off to the side while Scott fights for her, you know? Yeah. And I mean, she does get to fight a few times in the movie. Yeah. But 
honestly and even even the trope of the manic pixie dream girl at least they're usually bubbly or something like a, yeah like a zoe de chanel type like yeah uh and and by the way i just want to say this isn't a criticism of uh, mary elizabeth winstead who uh plays ramona i, yeah. I really think this is kind of a script i think directional so too. she issue. just has nothing to work with you yeah know? and not gonna lie edgar wright does not do very well with female characters which most of the time I'm okay with that. You know, it's mm-hmm. not about the characters. Like you said, it's style over substance. Yeah. You know? And you kind of accept that. And I love his movies. But I think Ramona really suffers because, you know, he just doesn't invest the time or whoever wrote the script didn't really invest the time to give her anything to work with. And so she just comes off as, you know, like you said, this mysterious kind of bitchy girl who you're not really sure why Scott wants to be with her in the first place. Yeah. Like their first date. Yeah. Like they have, I'm, I'm sorry. They just have no chemistry. Well, they don't. Like when they yeah. go back to their, her apartment and mm-hmm. she starts like making out with him. You're like, why? What the fuck is yeah. happening? Like, <laughs> no offense to Michael Sarah, but yeah. it, she just, just the two of them. I don't know. You, I don't buy it at, in any way. Yeah. And in the, in the books, you get more of them together and scenes with them and just like them having a good time or laughing or, you know, around an evil ex and, her being in on it and there's just more of them in the books, which I think is super important for her character. And it's just hard because there's seven, seven evil exes that they have to fight. And so I think that takes up so much of the movie story that there's not a lot of room for other characters to do anything. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, in the movie, Ramona ends up leaving with Gideon after um, Scott fights the twins. And then in the book, Ramona just leaves, uh, not with Gideon. She just disappears. Yeah. Also, Gideon, who's a music producer, yeah. mm-hmm. signs on, in the movie, signs on Sex bob Yeah, without uh, Scott. <laughs> without Scott, yeah, because Scott refuses to work with Gideon. Yeah. So, yeah, kind of both set up kind of the same for the final, the final X. And at this point in the series, the final book. Yeah. Yeah, and so this is where Scott it kind of enters his like kind of depressive period. And it's interesting because it's winter again in the books. Where yeah. So a whole year has passed, basically. And, um, you know, he gets a new apartment and, you know, is living on his own and kind of like doesn't know what to do now that Ramona is gone and still doesn't want to face things and um, ends up kind of going going into the wilderness a little bit. Yeah, he literally... <laughs> His wilderness journey. He um, goes and visits in the book, he goes and visits Kim, mm-hmm. who has moved back home, I think farther north yeah. in Canada. And in the wilds of Canada. <laughs> gets to visit her. And, uh, you know, it's... it's. I really like this aspect of the books. Yeah. You know, Kim has to move home just because her she had to leave her roommate because yeah. there was drama between them her life is also kind of falling apart i just feel like these books really capture well the How, what it feels like to be that age yeah you know we're that age yeah <laughs> yeah and just you know like you move into a new place with some new roommates and then things don't work out with those roommates or you know you date someone and then it doesn't work out mm-hmm. and you know you have these crappy jobs and you're not sure exactly what you want to do or what your game plan is long term and a lot of people do end up moving back home for a bit just yeah. to regroup and that's what happens with Kim. Yeah, we know people who have moved back home, we know people who have had 100 different roommates, 100 yeah. different apartments mm-hmm. and the books really capture that kind of franticness, you know, yeah. of, like I 
I really enjoyed it. I can't remember almost any of who lived with who <laughs> for yeah. most of the books just because it was so kind of back and forth, but I loved that about it. Mm-hmm. So I, at this, you know, kind of is, is a good culmination of that where uh, Scott goes to visit Kim mm-hmm. and he has a internal struggle where he fights... He fights Nega Scott. <laughs> Nega Scott. <laughs> Which is like, I guess, the bad version of himself. And in the in the end, he refuses to fight him and decides to accept him instead. And when he accepts Nega Scott as part of himself, he also accepts all the mistakes he's made, but also the good things that have happened in his life, which is Ramona. And that kind of lights the spark for him to try to get Ramona back again and fight the last evil ex. Yeah, so he uh, returns to Toronto to go to the Chaos Theater, mm-hmm. which is where Gideon... Uh, it's his new theater. Yeah, his and club, I guess. Yeah, so that's where he is and Ramona is, and that's where Scott goes. And the setup is pretty much the same for book and movie mm-hmm. in that setup. Yeah. So in the movie, Scott ends up dying after the first fight. <laughs> I mean, I guess in the book too, yeah. yeah. He, he tries to fight Gideon and gets killed. <laughs> pretty much. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. In, the, uh, in one of the previous exes yeah fights he earned a, a one-up a life <laughs> yeah yeah so he doesn't die mm-hmm. but um the first time he fights gideon in the movie he uh attains the power of love oh yeah which mm-hmm. he got in the books earlier which yeah. is literally like a sword like comes out of his chest yeah uh and it's a great fight sequence in the movie because mm-hmm. he's just kind of fighting a bunch of henchmen yeah and it's real they're all bursting into coins yeah like mm-hmm. i love the effect they just like he'll swing the sword through them and suddenly they're just shattered into coins yeah and it's a great effect and mm-hmm. it's a cool scene um and then he goes to confront gideon and that's when Gideon manages to kill him yeah. in, in the movie. Uh, and then Scott comes back. And mm-hmm. oh, it's worth mentioning, too. We're going to kind of jump around. It's yeah. like they're they're similar enough that we should talk about them in the same like yeah. moment. But also there's, there's a, lot a lot of differences. Of differences. And this is the one where... So the movie was already like finished, basically, mm-hmm. when the 6-1 was being written. Yeah. So, and they did revise things a little bit in the movie after the sixth one came out to kind of be more true to it. Um, but they are very different. And it's interesting because the whole con- the whole conceit kind of of this last fight is that Ramona is under Gideon's control and is just kind of sitting there. He has like some kind of mind control chip on the, the back movie. of your head. Yeah, in the movie. Did I say the book? I'm sorry. No, no, no. You just, it just wasn't yeah. clarified because in the book... Scott goes to the Chaos Theater expecting to find Ramona there. Yeah, and she's not. Mm-hmm. And there's a great scene between Gideon and Scott where they each think Ramona is with the other. Yeah. They're uh, like, you don't have her. Where is she? Yeah. <laughs> and when she shows up later, she's like, no, I just went home yeah, for a bit. to live with my dad for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so she ends up coming back after Scott gets his new life and starts over. And then they fight together to defeat Gideon in the books. Yeah. And in the movie, it's interesting because it's actually um, Knives shows up yeah. to fight Ramona. Yeah. She's still so upset. Ho- upset and obsessed with Scott that she wants to fight Ramona because she broke his heart. Mm-hmm. And uh, they fight for a bit. Um, and this is before Scott dies for the first time. And yeah. this is where he kind of he breaks 
up the fight and finally has to confess that he cheated on mm-hmm. Knives with Ramona. Yeah. And kind of like... The first time that he's admitted this in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of the the growth of Scott's character in the movie. This is kind of what the whole thing is built up to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. Uh, and, you know, then he dies and comes back. Yeah. And since literally the events are just replaying out mm-hmm. in the movie, he is able to handle it better. Yeah. And he is able to tell them more directly and apologize and admit, about it. Yeah, that he was wrong and that he's sorry. Mm-hmm. And that gives him like more points, you know, <laughs> in this fight scene. Yeah. And then he and Knives kind of work together to defeat Gideon instead yeah. of he and Ramona. Which is surprising, but it, it's really effective because uh, in the movie, uh, Knives and Scott play this game together all the time, yeah. which is kind of a spoof of Dance Dance uh, Revolution or whatever. But with ninjas. But with ninjas. <laughs> and so they kind of do their whole routine of that game, fighting mm-hmm. Gideon and take him down like simultaneously. It's a really well done scene. And that's how they defeat Gideon Yeah, uh, in the movie. It's interesting in the book. The book has so many twists and turns in this final fight. Yeah. I think it's kind of... Par- it's a little confusing. It is. And I think it's kind of parodying like manga or anime. Yeah. Where a lot of times like when the big baddie is... When they're fighting the big bad guy, like there's a lot of like twists and turns and mm-hmm. now they're in another dimension and now this character died and brought... Like yeah. a lot of things happen in the course of like that one, one fight. fight. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's kind of playing off that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting. Part of it takes place in like the subspace or in Ramona's mind, and you're mm-hmm. not too sure what's going on with that. It's complicated. And then Gideon has all of his ex girlfriends in yeah. like a cryo sleep or whatever. And uh, yeah, it's just a lot happens, but they all, defeat Gideon. Ultimately, they defeat Gideon, and that's yeah. like the whole the whole spiel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in the end of the book. Um, he and Ramona kind of get this moment to talk to each other and kind of both admit, and more Ramona admitting that she is afraid to kind of hold on or be with someone because she's afraid of getting stuck, you know? And they do that. They do talk about that a little in the movie, but it's a, it's a kind of more emotional moment for the two of them in the book. And they both sort of agree to, you know, let's keep trying. Like we want to be together. Like let's do this together and try to make each other better people and, you know, correct our past mistakes. Yeah, they kind of have more reconciliation. Yeah. And kind of um, coming to terms with who they are and being fine with each other now because of that. Um, yeah, yeah. So, the and of course, oh, the, the most important part. thing we have to talk about at the oh end of God. the books, uh, Stephen Stills, the guitarist for the Scott's bomb. band, mm-hmm. uh, is gay now. Yeah, he comes out as gay. It's so funny. Because um, there's this whole plot line where Sex Bob-omb in the books starts recording instead of performing because they want to record uh, their first CD. And so Stephen Stills is recording with this other character, Joseph. And then you find out that they started dating and Scott didn't know about it because he was so self-centered and absorbed <laughs> in his own life. <laughs> so you don't find out till the end. <laughs> yeah, but Scott's like super happy for them and it's great. And it's interesting because you said that Stephen Stills is based on a real person right yeah brian lee o'malley said that steven stills character was based on someone he knew a friend and that that friend came out as gay partway through when he was writing it and so he kind of talked to his friend and was like hey should we make steven stills gay too and so he sort of planted some clues in like the fourth and fifth books that steven skill steven stills is gay <laughs> and then until you find out at the end you're like oh my god it's crazy yeah i, I really like you know 
Brian Lee O'Malley has a lot of um, diversity in terms of sexual orientation and, yeah. you know, in in his books, which I, I appreciate. I think it's cool. Yeah, and we miss that. I mean, you don't... Stephen Skills isn't as much of a character in the movie, so it didn't, wouldn't really matter no. for him coming out as gay, but it's so fun in the books, and I love it. Yeah, it's a great moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the movie, uh, after defeating Gideon... Uh, Scott, they do a great spoof of the Nega Scott scene yeah. where, and I, I, it was interesting reading about it later, you know, Nega Scott shows up and you think they're going to fight. And then the next, it cuts to them leaving the warehouse together and yeah. just talking about getting brunch. Yeah. And Scott's like, yeah, no, we just shot the shit. He's actually a pretty nice guy. <laughs> and someone was like, it's pretty funny that Nega Scott, the opposite of Scott, is a nice guy. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Right? Yeah. I know. I kind of had the same thought. I was yeah. like, oh, that is, it's it's not just a joke, but it's almost kind of a character yeah. moment a little bit. Not that Scott probably gets it, but... Yeah. Uh, and so... Let's talk about the alternate ending. Well, the, the real ending, though, first, oh, yeah. which is just uh, Scott kind of reconciles with... Uh, Knives. Knives. Mm-hmm. And then... He and Ramona. He and Ramona leave and walk into the sunset together. Yeah. Uh, unless you're talking about the alternate original ending. Yeah. Where uh, Scott and Knives end up together. Which, if you've read the books, it's totally out of left field for the books. For the books. Yeah. But... It kind of makes sense for the movie. For the movie. And, you know, I, I felt this way too when I first saw the movie yeah part of me wanted them to be together Mm -hmm. because it builds you up that way it does he and knives kind of have more stuff that they do together you know like that that dance thing that they play and like their chemistry is really good and And she loves the band yeah and she loves the band while as Ramona is just sort of this removed character kind of like standing on the sidelines just you know there and doesn't really care about anything yeah it doesn't help that she has no chemistry with Michael Sarah in this movie Mm -hmm. and you know like I talked about earlier that you know Knives is a good contrast to Scott's kind of world weariness blah yeah. blah because blah, she's enthusiastic about things and they mm-hmm. like the same things but you know she brings kind of a, a joy to that and everything yeah and at the end they reconcile and they work together to take down Gideon yeah and so it's almost like them being together makes so much sense with what the movie has already set up yeah and and it's not like Ramona uh, gets screwed or anything because no. first of all, you kind of always get the sense that she doesn't care a whole lot about yeah. Scott. Yeah. But also, you know, he gave her a clean, a fresh start mm-hmm. by defeating her evil exes. She yeah. can kind of move on now. And if you watch the alternate ending, I kind of like the way Ramona kind of, it's kind of a bittersweet thing. She kind of like steps through one of her doorways yeah. and kind of disappears looking behind her. And yeah. I liked that more of a complicated ending. A complicated ending. Yeah. But... It also is kind of shitty to Nyes' character because Scott just admitted that he cheated on her and he was really crappy to her the whole time. Um, and then she just gets back together with him immediately. And it's just like, sure, Scott, I love you. I'm obsessed with you. You know, It's <laughs> like she doesn't get that moment where she can be like, you know, I've moved on and I can be happy for you with someone else. And that's a growth in my character. That's true. I think I think it could have worked. I think the script would have need to have been tweaked from what I saw in the yeah. original ending. Like I think she definitely could have used a line of like I don't know. You were shitty to me and yeah. like I'll give you another chance, but like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think you could have done both her growth in that way mm-hmm. and her maybe still ending up with Scott. 
Uh, but I do like her growth in the what we got is an ending where she's like, I'm too cool for you. Yeah. Because he was concerned about leaving her and she's mm-hmm. like, don't fucking worry about me. Like, I'm yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah. So it's super interesting because it feels like the movie was building up to Scott being with Knives. But mm-hmm. then when the last book came out, they sort of changed the ending and wrote in the ending where Scott ends up with Ramona. So when you're watching it, it does feel a little off and like we said, Ramona's character is not very likable in the first place. So yeah, it's a little strange, but everything makes sense perfectly in the books. Yeah. <laughs> and well, it makes sense for them to be together. Yeah. And Edgar Wright talked about like the original ending apparently like split audiences right down the middle. Yeah. And I think after he saw the book. He, and how well it tied everything together. He decided to yeah. go with that book ending. I, I disagree though. I, I think, I think the original ending could have been reworked a bit, but I think it could have ultimately, I I think that was the right direction to go. So now leading into this, which is better, the comic books or the movie? It's a tough one. It's really tough. It is tough. And especially because what you're talking about with like the endings being kind of different in tone. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I'm definitely going to go with the comics. Which, I know, shocker, I always end up going with the book. Not always, but a <laughs> no, lot of the time. Yeah. Um, you went with movie on Christine, though. So. I did, yeah. Um, but just Ramona's character, it's really hard for me to get past that. Like, I love the movie, and I still enjoy it. And that doesn't take away from my enjoyment. But it does take a little bit away when I compare them. Yeah. Just because, you know... The movie doesn't pass the Bechtel test, which is a little ridiculous, you know, like two women don't really talk to each other um, in the movie. And the comics are just, and obviously that's because they have time to expand the characters, but I just feel like Ramona is really kind of given the crappy end of the stick in the movie. Mm -hmm. And so for that main reason, I definitely have to agree that the books are better. Yeah, I'm okay. I I agree. The representation of Ramona is not... It's a huge uh, problem for the movie for me. Yeah. I'm okay with the Bechdel test thing. Like, I don't know. For me, the Bechdel test is like a good example for movies as a whole. Like when you look at like the percentage of movies that pass the Bechdel test or don't, that's like the issue. Mm -hmm. I I think when you get into individual ones, it's kind of like, you know, in this case, it's Scott Pilgrim. And they have, he's in every scene. Yeah. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of tough to pass the Bechdel test based on that. But but um, I would say that I also... I'm, I'm going to break my own. <gasps> oh, my God. I'm going to say the comics. Oh, my God. Uh, you know, I think... Is this the first time ever? Maybe. I'm, I, I don't know. I think it might <laughs> first be. First time so far. Yeah. Wow. I, I mean... For I, I mean, a walk to remember was a toss up. Yeah, I, I, pick, I only picked the movie because it was shorter. But, but um, yeah, it, it's one of those things where I actually think Edgar Wright elevated the style and oh, the yeah. humor, mm-hmm. and like brought so many brought his own, I don't know, his own personality to it. Yeah, that is so unique to him, and and so it makes it such for, a unique movie. It does, and. For me, that's where it, it's it's tough to say because he actually improved upon the original in a lot of ways, in yeah. my opinion. Mm-hmm. But for me, the the story of the comics uh, is so interesting in terms of you know just being in your early twenties and mm-hmm. relationships and 
you know, where you are in life with your job and the people you live with and where you live with. And I really loved that aspect of yeah, the book. Yeah, it feels so real and interesting. And it it's funny because Scott has all of these battles, but then all, all this real life is happening alongside it, you mm-hmm. know? And it's almost like, yes, it's important that Scott is fighting you know, these exes, but equally important are, you know, the relationships being formed, the friendships, the, the breakups, you know, getting jobs and the regular life is just as important in the books, which I love that. It's such an interesting yeah. tone. And, and I can't explain what it is. I've thought back on it so many times. I don't know why, but the movie loses a lot of steam for me in yeah, the final act. It does. And yeah. I can't, I think part of it is that that type of humor and that energy is tough to maintain for that long of a movie. Mm -hmm. And I also think the chaos theater as a set is cool, but it's kind of suddenly very sterile yeah, and not as interesting as kind of the real world setting that a lot of the fights and situations take take place place in. in. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's a video game fight scene in the real world. Yeah. And suddenly in the final act, it's a video game fight scene in a video game looking world. Yeah. And suddenly it becomes a lot less interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And I also think That's in, a good point. in the uh, movie, even though I liked in theory what they did with him getting his life back or the extra life and coming yeah. back to life mm-hmm. in the movie, he replays like that beginning that part. part. Yeah. And I think that's also kind of where it loses some steam for me, him having to go through that seen again it before, you know? Yeah. 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 So, um, that's another factor for me and the movie is mm-hmm. that, that humor and everything like the beginning of the movie, I'm just on cloud nine and oh, I'm watching yeah. it. I, I love it. I the same way too. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like nothing is better in the world than the beginning of Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. Uh, the movie. And then it just really, it, it takes a dip in the final act for me. So, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, so. Wow. I'm so excited that we agree. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, on a book. <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. And especially because... I I love the books so much. They're so fun. And I think what Brian Lee O'Malley did is so interesting and so different. And he just, it's his style is so unique and I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. I, I loved reading them and I definitely want to like get all of them. Yeah. I really want to read like the colored versions. We read the black and white ones and mm-hmm. I've, I've heard they did a recoloring of all of them. So yeah. get all nerdy with our colored editions. It's also cool too, because seeing, uh, I feel like Brian Lee O'Malley improved a lot as an artist oh, throughout yeah. the series. Mm-hmm. Like by the end, like I don't, I don't know his shading and the, I don't know. There's like an it's extra scenes too. textural element to a lot of the, the drawing and stuff that, yeah, it's, he's, he's really talented to be able to write and draw mm-hmm. everything in it. You ready for the lightning round? Yeah, let's do the lightning round. Okay. I'm going to go first. <laughs> Bread makes you fat. <laughs> There's a, is a joke in the movie and in the book where Scott is talking about how he loves garlic bread and he could eat it forever. And Rona's like, you'd get fat. And he doesn't understand that bread makes you fat. And so he's just like, what? Bread makes you fat. And then just the movie, the cut it just immediately cuts. after. Yeah. So yeah, it's maybe my favorite joke too. It's so yeah. great. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my God. In the, in the comics, after he defeats Lucas Lee, yeah. there's a great... Um, video game joke where suddenly he gets like a skateboard as an item the me thrill skateboard. it's a me thrill skateboard uh <laughs> and but he's like wait i can't use it i didn't level up my skateboard and like my skating skills yeah he's like why didn't i take it up in like high school and then it just disappears and he doesn't get it and he doesn't so get funny. it so it's just 
one of those kind of layered video game jokes that is so funny. Yeah. Another thing is in the second volume of the books, um, they do this kind of weird experimental thing where there's a part where they're all hanging out and they make a vegan shepherd's pie together. And it shows you like the recipe and how to make it in the book, which is really cool. Yeah, it's kind of this cool. They spread out all the recipe ingredients and stuff, mm-hmm. and Stephen Stills kind of takes you through it. Yeah. Um, there's a subplot in the book that was really funny and weird, where like <laughs> suddenly this kind of older guy in a trench coat and sunglasses starts attacking uh, Scott out of nowhere with yeah. a sword, mm-hmm. and Scott just keeps running away from He's him. He's like a samurai. Yeah, and he doesn't know who he is or what's going on. Yeah. And then eventually it's revealed that it's Knives' his dad. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess like Knives just told her dad about Scott Scott mm-hmm. and dating him and the him being a protective father or whatever decided to go out and fight him fight Scott <laughs> they can't reconcile and everything it's just kind of this weird almost throwaway plot point that's really funny in the books <laughs> yeah yeah um oh the, also in the books um Scott has had his memory altered you think by Gideon he has like tampered with Scott's memory and his brain a little bit. So that's part of the end confrontation, which also I felt like made things more confusing and wasn't really. Yeah, it it was, it hurt the end book in a way because there's a realization where he's talking to Kim. Yeah. And he had this memory of dating Kim where she got kidnapped by another school kid and he had to fight him and beat him up to be with her. And Kim tells him later on, like, no, I was just, he was a friend of mine and you were a jerk to him and, like, fought him. Yeah. And it's this kind of realization that, like, oh, Scott is very selective about his memories. And yeah. that's why he kind of mm-hmm. misremembers a lot. And then when they throw in this idea that Gideon's tampering with his memories. Yeah. It. You're kind of like, well, okay. Yeah. It's like, I already liked what you said about the memories. Like, why? I, yeah. I, it felt totally unnecessary and it kind of hurt that aspect, I thought. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, this is apparently, it's interesting for Edgar Wright. I think this is the movie that taught him how to film a fight scene. Yeah. Because uh, the fight scenes are great in this. And, you know, before this movie, he did Hot Fuzz, yeah. which is a spoof on action movies. Mm-hmm. But there's just kind of shooting and editing. And it's yeah. great, but not... Not a lot of fights. N- no. and not, It's more shootout scenes. Yeah. And the action isn't like super advanced in how it's choreographed or anything. Yeah. But after doing um, Scott Pilgrim, the next movie he did in his Cornetto trilogy, The World's End, yeah. had some really great action fight yeah. scenes. Mm-hmm. These kind of long tracking shots of like crazy action that's going on. And and of course, his new movie, Baby Driver, has a lot of action mm-hmm. and car chases. And so I think this movie helped Edgar Wright kind of... Kind of develop that. Yeah, and branch out in that way, which I really like. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, and so I just have one more thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, there is a great video. If someone, if anyone's a fan of Edgar Wright, there's a great video uh, by a YouTube channel called Every Frame of Painting. Mm-hmm. And I'll leave a link in the info of this episode for yeah. it. And it talks about the visual comedy of Edgar Wright. And it's so great because it really just breaks down why Edgar Wright does comedy so much better than a lot of comedies out today. Mm-hmm. And he argues a lot of comedies today are just elongated sketches yeah. like that you'd see on SNL. They're just riffing. Yeah, yeah where it's mm-hmm. just the actors throwing in lines and stuff, whereas Edgar Wright, you know, plans his shots really well and, yeah. like, does a lot visually. And, uh, you know, this YouTube channel in general, everyone should check out Every Frame of Painting mm-hmm. because he talks about so many interesting subjects yeah, in filmmaking. Yeah, a lot about movies and what 
kind of makes them so good as an art form and stuff that yeah. you wouldn't maybe necessarily notice on your own. Yeah. He talks about Jackie Chan and his, mm-hmm. the art of, uh, physical comedy. Yeah. Uh, or I, I don't know. He just does so many really good ones. And I think filmmaking or movies in general or like any art form where yeah. to really appreciate them, you have to kind of become better versed in them a bit, mm-hmm. which I don't think a lot of people acknowledge. I think they feel, feel movies are kind of a low level entertainment only yeah you know? where mm-hmm. you know i should just be able to go and turn my i hate that turn, people my are, brain off. turn your brain off it's like no you don't have to turn your brain off to enjoy it yeah um and i think th- there's a lot of good youtube channels out there that to watch to educate yourself a little bit about film yeah there's uh every from a painting there's uh lessons from the screenplay mm-hmm. which talks about screenplays and how they work into the final product of a movie uh, there's a guy, Captain Christian, yeah, who does, does a lot, lot of video of essays, a mm-hmm. lot about movies that are really good. Um, there's Cinefix that does a lot of top 10 lists mm-hmm. that are very thought out and like they really know their stuff. Intentional. Intentional, yeah. yeah. So I'll link to those as well. Uh, I just want, you know, there's so much on YouTube now in terms of video essays and ways to learn about film mm-hmm. and just kind of, you know, and they're all really entertaining. It's not like a homework chore, no. but like uh, it's it's all worth watching and it really, I'm not saying I know a lot, yeah. but if anything, I'm an example of how a little bit of knowledge goes a long, goes a long way in helping mm-hmm. you to appreciate what, like what good movies really are. Yeah. So that's my push. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done promoting. <laughs> yeah. I guess that, that just about does it for us. Yeah. I think, uh, that's, you know, it was a little bit of a longer episode again, but we talked about multiple books this time. We talked about six books, so yeah, instead I think of we did a good job. A TV series. <laughs> um, if you uh, liked what you heard, leave us a review on iTunes. Yeah. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Cover2Credits. That's the number two. Uh, find us on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Email us at cover to credits pod at gmail.com. And yeah, we're always tweeting, always updating. Yeah, know? yeah. Just follow us for updates and mm-hmm. find out what we're doing next week. And yeah. uh, we do promotional stuff sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, definitely uh, follow us for that kind of update. And yeah, thanks for listening. Oh, and thank you to Actual Size and Bob Kiernan for providing our sound equipment. As always, it's great. Yep. Okay, thank you. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.